Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode. Part of the Creation Today Claim series, released December 31st, 2018, titled Matt Walsh vs. Ken Ham and Eric Hovind, Young Earth Creation Debate. For years then, we haven't even copyrighted our material. We allow people to copy it, to give it away. That's what we want. Today's question comes from Eric. Yes, that's me. Hey, what do you think of Matt Walsh and the video he made about Young Earth Creationist, Tim? Two noteworthy Christians. I can already feel the brotherly love. It's very clear he doesn't even know what he's talking about. And, and I mean that in sincerity. Oh my. Welcome to Apologia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians. Though I must admit, in an attempt to minimize my confirmation bias, some of my favorite things to watch are Christians discussing aspects of Christianity with other Christians. That's why I got so intrigued to see Eric on Twitter offering Matt Walsh $10,000 to debate the topic of young earth creationism. And then the other creationist I follow closely, Ken Ham, wrote an article on the Answers in Genesis site about Matt. Then all of these parties proceeded to make videos about each other, but none actually talking to each other. I figured if a live debate was worth $10,000 to Eric, I should take it upon myself to make this event a reality as best I can. I believe I've represented all the parties in this discussion honestly, fairly, and including their best points, with maybe an occasional one on my own. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, here is Matt Walsh versus Eric Covend, Tim Chafee, Georgia Purdom, Bodie Hodge, and Ken Ham. For those of you who may not know who Matt Walsh is, um, he is a popular blogger that has a daily podcast and blog through the Daily Wire, which is a conservative news site run by Ben Shapiro. He's a talented writer. He's, um, you know, he's uh, very popular as far as blogging goes. His website actually describes him as one of the leading young voices of the religious right. Um, he commonly addresses a lot of social issues, so things like transgenderism, uh, gay marriage, abortion, and things like that. I don't read everything that he writes, but I've read... Uh, half dozen or maybe a dozen of his articles, and, and many times I like what he says. I was having this debate on Twitter uh, over the past day and a half, this, a debate about the issue of, um, of young earth creationism. When I saw the tweets from Matt expressing the fact that he couldn't see how anyone could believe in a six-day creation, I ended up chiming in on the conversation. And of course, Twitter is the perfect forum for theological and scientific debate. You know how Twitter debates can go, <laughs> usually not the best forum for doing debate. Actually, it's, it's a terrible forum for that sort of discussion or any kind of discussion. Let's be fair, uh, you know, Eric, some people on our side, when they debate on social media, um, they're not always the best behaved. So I thought maybe we'd move it into a more, move the discussion into a slightly more fruitful venue. And then he made a video about his position. I did a show about young earth creationism. And I explained why I am not a young earth creationist. I didn't even know who Matt Walsh was, <laughs> I have to be honest, until people started contacting me. Did you know that Matt Walsh said something about you and you need to watch this video? And so I watched it. Although I have been told that, I, that I'm alienating um, and may in fact lose half my audience with my opinion on this topic. It was sad, really. I think that was my, 
um, my initial reaction. People said, hey, did you see this? Are you guys going to respond? We want to offer a direct response. To so um, we decided that um, we wanted to respond. Ken Ham over at Answers in Genesis issued a response as well. Ken Ham is, um, if you aren't familiar, Ken Ham, probably the most well-known young earth creationist in the country. He runs the Creation Museum, where you can learn about how dinosaurs and people coexisted and, and other interesting facts. I use this as an opportunity to really teach um, and equip people with the um, correct answers to some of these things, correct some misinformation and things like that. And I will interject with a counter argument wherever I see a need for one. People are going to be going, give me the link. I want to go watch this video. What is he saying? Uh, now, of course, he responded to me. He didn't offer a link to what I actually... So that's, that's problem number one. Eric, do you think that it's worth watching his video? I don't think he quoted anything that I said, and he offered no link to it whatsoever. Honestly, I mean, if you if you believe Young Earth creation and you already know the arguments and you just want to see somebody misrepresent them, maybe. But no, not really. I mean, be, just because there's so much misinformation there, I go, just study the truth instead. He, he just expected people to trust, take his word for it. For you know, He was going to represent what I said, and you're supposed to take his word for it. And by the end of this, you'll, you can make a determination on whether or not you want to go spend 40 minutes of your life watching his video on misrepresenting Young Earth creation. Rather than simply rebutting my opinions, he attacked my faith. To me, do not link to the source material you are critiquing is the ultimate sin of critiquing. It's one of the reasons I prefer to make response videos where I play for you the actual words of the people making the claims. It minimizes the chance I can misrepresent what they say. But I've clearly edited these videos for time. So like always, I include the links and I highly encourage everyone to watch the originals to see if I've misrepresented them somehow. For Ken to not include the link to Matt is one thing, but for Eric to frantically discourage his listeners from listening to protect their precious ears is a whole new level of distaste and dishonest. So I have no choice then but to respond and to clarify some things. When I was listening to this, this video that Matt did, I, I just found myself groaning audibly time and time again. <laughs> As I was walking, I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And, and I mean, rule number one, if you're going to critique something or someone, understand their position. He so mischaracterized my view, and he represented it so falsely, and he made such a straw man of what I said. Yeah. A number of things said that I was really concerned that people might think that I believed those things. I've been getting emails and messages from his followers for weeks accusing me of saying things I never said and taking positions I never took, all because Ken Ham told them that's what I said. It's very clear he doesn't even know what he's talking about, and, and I mean that in sincerity. And I was the only person named in that particular video. Um, for some reason, a lot of people have come under the impression that Ken Ham is an expert on science and theology, and they trust him implicitly on those subjects, and apparently on, on every subject. Um, because when he responded to me and blatantly misconstrued my opinions, they just went with it. They just assumed. Because he was saying things about what creationists supposedly believe, but... In, in so many cases, in fact, almost every single point he made, he doesn't, he showed that he doesn't have a clue what we actually believe. Again, making me wonder if he did any research before making his video. I did plenty of research, Ken. I just don't trust the information you provide for reasons I've already explained. And it would take him all of five or ten seconds to Google some of these things. It's not as yeah. if these views are held in, in secret. I have read his literature, and frankly, I find it to be extremely misleading. I don't want to treat him uh, the way that I think he's treated young earthers. Though I don't question the sincerity or the faithfulness of six-day creationist folks. I want to be respectful toward him, but it, it's difficult when the everything that he says about your view is just false, and I think it needs to be corrected. I don't think you're a bad person. I don't think you're stupid. I don't think you're a bad Christian. Um, I just think that, you know, we have a disagreement on, on that topic. If yes. somebody disagrees with us, by all means, explain why. I, I, I have no problem with that. I do not believe 
that the earth is 6,000 years old. Uh, I believe I believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. I believe that the Bible does teach truth, but I don't believe that the Bible requires us to hold the six-day creationist view. Um, I believe that uh, that view is not only scientifically wrong, but I also think it's theologically wrong. I think it, I think it is a misinterpretation, a misreading, a misunderstanding of the text. You know, if he wants to come out and say, here's why I'm not a young earth creationist, fine, explain that. I agree with the vast majority of scientists, Christian and secular scientists alike, who say that the Earth is about 4.5 billion years old, the universe is around 14 billion years old. Um, I think an honest evaluation of the, of the geological data, the cosmological data, astronomical uh, data, anthropological, archaeological, mathematical data, all of that um, supports this view. The, the young Earth view um, can only cherry pick a few bits of data from each of these disciplines while rejecting most of the rest of it. And, and, and that, that just isn't how you do science. Matt Walsh actually said that people like us who say the Bible does teach six literal days, that we're doing harm. Not, not inadvertently. It's not like they're trying to hurt anybody, of course, but I, I do think it can, it, it can put obstacles in the way, especially for, for non-believers. One of the first things I'll tell you is, look, I just can't, I know that the earth is, is more than 6,000 years old. If you're telling me that I have to believe that in order to be a Christian, then I can't be a Christian. He's almost saying that we're saying you've got to believe that to be a Christian, which we never say. No, we and never, we've never said. No, no, no. We've written but, articles that say we don't. The six-day creationist view is, in my, in my opinion, counterproductive. The, the research in Already Gone that we did yeah. shows the opposite is true. Those who say you, you, you can believe in millions of years and Genesis doesn't mean what it says, that causes generations of kids, many in these generations, to say, well, how can you trust the Bible? But I, I, I don't question the integrity, the sincerity. Uh, the good heartedness, the, the you know anything. I don't question anything about about the people that hold that view. He's he's trying to explain that the Bible isn't supposed to be taken literally in every single case. When somebody asks me, and I get I get this question kind of frequently, someone says, "Do you take the whole Bible literally?" You know, when if you hear us say we interpret the Bible literally, which Eric and I won't say that we interpret, but some young earthers will. This is part of the disconnect our parties are going to have. The no true creationist fallacy. Matt will talk about a young earth claim. Tim will be upset that it doesn't represent his specific brand of creationism, but in the same breath acknowledge that there do exist some young earth creationers who hold the position. So Matt is fully justified in discussing this as a position held by young earthers. That these particular panelists don't share these views doesn't mean that Matt doesn't face them. Hashtag not all creationists. N nobody takes the whole Bible literally. Okay, nobody does. We all agree that there are parts of the Bible that cannot be taken literally. Everybody agrees with that. I always find that to be a confusing question. Do you take the Bible literally? It's, it's a very confusing question. Psalm 104, he set the earth on its foundation, it can never be moved. Must we take this literally and believe that the earth does not move? Science tells us that the earth is hurtling through space at incomprehensible speeds. It's constantly moving, rotating, spinning, orbiting. Even the ground itself, the plates are moving. Everything is moving. Everything in, on earth is constantly in motion. Um, must we deny all of that science for the sake of taking it literally? Uh, yeah, it's better to say, it, instead of saying literally, it's probably better to say in the, in the plain language, plain uh, language. In the, the plain sense of the wording in that genre. That's the dispute. The dispute is, how was it written? What is it trying to convey? What is the natural interpretation of this verse? That's the whole point here. That's the discussion. Was Genesis written as a literal documentation or as a more metaphorical and theological work? I say the latter. And I think that that is the natural interpretation. And I think that Ken Ham has the unnatural interpretation. Uh, I think that he is infusing an unnatural interpretation into the text. No, it's very clear. It's written in a historical narrative style. That's totally clear to you? You have no confusion about that at all? 
Well, well, then you are, I mean, you're way smarter than me. And I think you're smarter than almost every human who has ever existed on the planet. Because, because I, people have been debating and talking and analyzing just those lines alone for, set for millennia. Because it's very hard to understand what even that means. And the whole, the whole idea is to give the Jewish people, hey, here's a true history of where you came from and what's coming in the future. And the whole point of the Old Testament in general and all of Genesis pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. So, no, it's uh, definitely not written as a parable. I think, by the way, it is kind of instructive and interesting that God in the New Testament uses non-literal language so often. You know, he uses stories to make his point, and he uses metaphors so often in the New Testament. So we have to ask ourselves, did he just start doing that in the New Testament? Um, or is it possible that he did it in the Old Testament too? Do you think that's why God gave us Genesis 1, so that we don't understand? <laughs> or so that, so, it was so that we would understand and that people of average intelligence and maybe even lower intelligence could read this and say, oh, okay, I, I understand what he means. Or is he trying to hide from us what he really meant? Uh, probably, so far as I know, there is no professor of Hebrew or Old Testament at any world-class university who does not believe that the writer of Genesis 1-11 to intended to convey to the readers that the idea that creation took place in a series of six days, which are the same as our 24 hours that we now experience. No professor. Let me introduce you to Dr. Christine Hayes at Yale University. Yale is one of the good universities, right? The early chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1 through 11, they're known as the primeval history, which is a very unfortunate name because these chapters really are not best read or understood as history in the conventional sense. But these 11 chapters owe a great deal to ancient Near Eastern mythology. When this is over, I'd invite you to go watch her entire Introduction to the Old Testament lecture series. One of the greatest things ever to be put online. If you, if you were to isolate Genesis and put it in a section of the bookstore by itself, would it be in the science section? Do you think that Genesis should or can be used as a reference for serious geological and cosmological study? Could a theoretical physicist kind of check his work by consulting the Bible? Um, a, a historian who wants, to, who wants to know about Jesus will certainly consult the Gospels. Uh, the Gospels and the Epistles are, are essentially the only um, first-hand accounts that he can consult. So the Gospels are historical documents. But a cosmologist who's trying to figure out what's going on with the universe will probably not look at the creation story in Genesis because Genesis is not a cosmological resource. It is a theological resource. Um, it's not going to be in the science section. It belongs in the theology section. It is a theological work, not a scientific one, which isn't to say that it's false. It is still 100% true. It is still the word of God. But the truth that it contains is a transcendent, timeless truth. So it's true, but you have to know how to read it. But the biggest factor is when you look elsewhere in the Bible, how did the rest of the Bible writers take Genesis chapter 1? They took this normal history as, as, as basic history. You know, they, they read it straight forward. Jesus did. Peter did. Paul did. And we can see that all throughout Scripture. Yeah. He says that, uh, that Jesus, you know, you know, we need to accept the six-day creation idea because of what Jesus says, says in Mark. Well, in Mark, Je Jesus simply restates that God made them male and female, which, again, I don't dispute. So that's got nothing to do with anything. To clarify, at no point does Jesus reference Adam or Eve by name. Jesus does reference Noah, however. So take that as you will. Now, there are many Christians who insist that um, Genesis describes a, a, a literal six-day creation, okay? And literal six-day creation as in a, a literal 24-hour um, day, you know, six days in a week. And they, they cite as their proof the fact that it says day, 
that's that's pretty much it. That's that's the entire. That's all the evidence is the word day. Walsh's main points were that the days in Genesis could not be twenty-four hour days. That's not true. Uh, I didn't say that the days could not be twenty-four hours. I said that they need not be, and they probably weren't. This is important because I'm not claiming that God couldn't have made the earth in six days. I'm just saying that in all likelihood, looking at the science and reading the text, it seems like God didn't make the earth in six days. He could have made it in any amount of time he wanted to. The question is, what did he do? Not what could he do? Uh, a day does not mean 24 hours. That is not the definition of a day. So when someone says, oh, I'm a, I'm a literalist, I take it literally, well, that's not the literal definition. If you're insisting that that day must mean 24 hours, you are not a literalist. You are actually putting a non-literal definition into the text. A day is not 24 hours necessarily. That is not the definition of day. A day on Earth right now is 24 hours because that's how long it takes now for the Earth to rotate on its axis. A day on Pluto is like 130 hours. On some planets in the solar system, a day is thousands of hours long. Day, the word day depends very much on what space rock you happen to be standing on and when you happen to be standing on it. So let me ask you, was the formless earth suspended in a void without a sun spinning on an axis? Did it have an axis? And if it was spinning, how fast was it spinning? The answer, of course, is you have no idea, not the faintest clue, which means you have not the faintest clue how long a day was in that context. If you're on Pluto, the rotation time is different than what Earth is. But the Bible's not written for people on Pluto. It's not written for people on Saturn or for on Mars. It's focused on the Earth. In fact, the Earth is made before the other planets. There is nothing, nothing in the text which suggests, at least through the first three days of creation, that the Earth was rotating on a 24-hour schedule. There is no reason to think that. In fact, on the first day of creation, we're told that the earth is shapeless. Well, where is the axis on a shapeless thing? It doesn't mean that there's no form whatsoever at all. It tells us that the spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. If you've got water, you've got some form there. And even if the shapeless void does have an axis somehow, there's no reason to assume that it's rotating on our current schedule. Since you have evening and morning, apparently you've got a rotating earth. You've got a 24-hour day. It doesn't matter if man isn't there yet to measure it. It doesn't matter if the sun is there yet or not to, to mark it. Um, you have... God telling us it was one earth rotation. Now, I don't take a literal interpretation of the creation story, but if you do, I think you're taking the wrong literal interpretation. I think young earth creationism fails on its own premise because it has the wrong idea of what a literal day is. Also, by the way, God rested. What does that mean? Do you know what that means? I, I don't really know what that means. Do you know what it means for an eternal, changeless, spaceless, timeless God to rest? And if you look up the Hebrew word translated rested, it means to cease on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So, so basically he stopped the, the work of it creation. Stopped, that he yeah. Did yeah, he stopped days. his work of creation. I don't dispute the truth of the passage, but I'm saying that I don't really know what it means. I can't wrap my puny mind around it. I don't think you can either. And just because we can't wrap our, even if we couldn't wrap our minds completely around everything, that doesn't mean we don't believe what the text says. We're dealing here with things that are beyond us which is yet another reason not to insist upon particular time measurements. And it's another reason not to be so afraid of the idea that there may be some metaphor here. Does it change the fact that they're literally true and they literally happened? When God is trying to communicate something to us that is beyond our grasp, he has to use metaphor because it's the only thing we can understand. And so when it comes to Genesis, there are clearly things happening here that are beyond our grasp.
Those are pretty hard things to wrap our minds around. Uh, if you look at the word, in, in the Hebrew word for day, does it have to mean 24 hours or could it be referring to a broader kind of passage of time? Um, in English, the word day means either um, uh, a 24 hour period corresponding with the rotation of the earth. That's one definition. Or a day means an age, a period of time. Um, can the, can day be understood in Hebrew in the same sort of way? And the answer is yes, it can be. It, 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 the, uh, the word day in Hebrew can mean several different things. The Hebrew word for day is the word yom. And what does it mean? Well, most words have two or more meanings dependent upon context. And so I give this example. Uh, English word day. Back in my father's day, day means time. It took 10 days, uh, 10 24-hour days. Drive across the Australian outback during the day. There's day meaning a daylight portion of a day. It's the same for the Hebrew word yom. It has a number of different meanings. There are those who say that, he, that the Hebrew word for day as it's used in Genesis, cannot ever mean anything but a 24-hour day. That is simply false. That is not true. Surely people realize we're not saying that. We don't say you come to Genesis and say there's only one meaning of the word day. In fact, in Genesis itself, day is used in at least three different ways in Genesis. <clears throat> he named the light day and the darkness night. Okay, that's one meaning of day. First day, second day. That's another meaning of day. And then it says, um, uh, you are free to eat from the tree in, in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Well, Adam lived, we're told, for 900 years. He didn't die on the day that he ate it. Yes, he died spiritually, but physical death also came from the fall. So it would seem that die in that verse has two meanings, which would mean that day probably has multiple meanings as well. When you look at the, the Hebrew word yom, outside of Genesis 1, when it's used with a number 410 times, it means an ordinary day. When you have evening and morning together without the word day 38 times, uh, that phrase means an ordinary day. When you have evening with day or morning with day, 23 times outside of Genesis 1 means an ordinary day. Night with day, 52 times outside of Genesis 1 is an ordinary day. Genesis 1, for each of the days, you have evening, morning, number. For the first day, you have the word night. And, and in fact, uh, for each of those, it means in context, it means it's an ordinary day. Every time the word day is used in the same sentence with evening, morning, and a number, it means 24 hours? Who says who? Where do you get that from? That, Ken, that's just an assertion. You're just restating your premise. That, that's not evidence. So where did you get that from? While I think that Ken's organization fabricates a lot of claims, I suspect they've actually done their homework on these 523 instances. Since Ken sells a whole book based on this one Hebrew word, it wouldn't surprise me if others may find some gray area where AIG finds black and white clarity in these 523 interpretations. But I think it's reasonable to say they've looked at each one. They're not completely pulling it out of thin air. I always say it's like God's trying to make sure we knew exactly what he meant. Yeah, so <laughs> so we, we already know that you cannot approach Genesis with only one definition of day in mind. The text does not support it, won't allow for it. For somebody as smart as he is to say, I've never understood how anyone could take this as literal when throughout most of time and history, people have done just that. And so I'm agreeing with many of the great doctors and fathers of the church, Justin Martyr, Clement of Alexandria, Augustine. The, the way that Augustine interpreted Genesis chapter one, different ways in different commentaries, and he allegorizes about everything. So I'm not going to cite him as a source of, of how to properly interpret certain things in the Bible. Uh, many of the great current apologists and theologians like uh, you know, William Lane Craig, and John Lennox, Bishop Barron. The vast majority of people in uh, ancient Judaism, uh, the, the ancient Jews prior to the time of Christ and even after there have interpreted that way. Along with, by the way, my favorite 19th and 20th century apologists like C.S. Lewis and John Henry Newman, uh, none of them were 
um, or are avowed six-day creationists. Yeah, uh, the vast majority of interpreters up until the t- or late 1700s, actually the early 1800s, uh, we talked about the gap theory in a recent episode, up until then interpreted them as literal history. Why? Because that's what it, that's how it reads. That's the, the language that's used. And, and a great many of, of the great teachers and thinkers of Christianity have from the beginning held that Genesis is not entirely literal. And this is what I would say to, mm-hmm. to Matt Walsh. It's what Luther said mm-hmm. in his day. The days of creation were ordinary days in length. We must understand these days were actual days contrary to the opinion of the Holy Fathers. Whenever we observe that the opinions of the Fathers disagree with Scripture, or if Matt Walsh <laughs> disagrees, we believe, we reverently bear with them, acknowledge them to be our elders. Nevertheless, we don't depart from the authority of Scripture right. for their sake. That's the reason we said what we said. Which is, which is really, I think, interesting that you had so many Christians who um, came to this conclusion before there was modern science. It's, it's, only, it's only with the idea of evolution in millions of years that people have begun really trying to put that into the text. To, in my view, basically prove that it was not a 24-hour, um, six 24-hour periods. So I agree with all of them, and I feel very safe in their company, and I'll explain why. Scripture says that a day for man is like a thousand years for God. So really... If you're a true literalist, it would seem to me that you have to say that the earth was made in 6,000 years, not six days. Matt, you can't use a verse from the New Testament in 2 Peter to determine the meaning of a Hebrew word in Genesis. You just, you just can't do that. But didn't Ken just appeal to using Jesus's words to interpret Genesis's history? This seems inconsistent. If you're taking it literally, if you're taking the whole book literally, which no one does, as I said, but if you are, if you claim to be, then you would have to take that verse into account. What are we being told? In the context of the second coming, you say Jesus hasn't come back yet, but remember, for God, a day, a thousand years, he's outside of time. He's not limited by natural processes and time. Like a thousand years is not an exact math equation. It is not a rate of exchange. It's just a metaphorical language meant to convey the point that when God says he did something in a day, it doesn't mean a day the way we think of it. A day for him is not a day for us. But if we're interested in getting some idea as to how these things physically happen and when, if we want to, um, you know, if, if that's what we're trying to figure out, then I think we look at the science. Why is it we should leave the Bible out of it when it comes to the how and the when? I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense. As soon as we say, God, we're going to set you aside over here, and we're going to go over here and look at some of these scientists who actually have an agenda, they have a right. worldview, they believe in naturalism and humanism. Why are we going to come over here and trust them as the authority? Because A, they weren't there. And then when we look at the science, certain interpretations of Genesis become significantly less tenable. But God was there. He created He's it. He's an eyewitness. He's an eyewitness. <laughs> he's the one who did it. And, and he's the one who told us how right. he did it. The real point of the Bible is about, the Bible is all about why. Why we're here. We're here to love and serve God. Science has nothing to say about that one way or another. We can't cross-reference that with science. But when it comes to our interpretations of the how and the winds, well, then things like archaeology, cosmology, uh, physics, all of that becomes useful. They didn't observe it. They didn't repeat it, which is what science is, observable, repeatable things. Well, I don't care if somebody thinks I'm a fool for believing what God has told us. I, that, that doesn't bother me. Ken says, by accepting the dogma of secular science, Walsh completely ignores the context of God's infallible word. No, Ken. I completely ignore your bad science. I don't ignore God's word. And the old earth view is not secular science. That's not secular science. You know, Matt said that he's worried that they're going to see us as anti-science fools. Well, I wonder, Matt is a, <laughs> a practicing Catholic. I'm pretty sure that he would affirm the virgin birth. 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm pretty sure that he affirms those things, and, and I'm glad he does. Well, guess what? Science says virgins don't give birth and dead people don't come back to life, right? So it's a total inconsistency with Scripture, and that's the problem. You have to have a miracle going on here. And um, the, the majority of these scientists would say, no, that didn't happen. If you're saying, well, science says, which is what he said, science says that Genesis can't be true. There are a great many Christians and Christian scientists who reject the young earth view. But yeah, he's imposing the views of the majority of scientists upon the, the text, and he's trying to make it say something it doesn't say. Science tells us that the Earth is around 4 billion years old. When he, science doesn't say anything. anything. That's right. Okay, scientists do, <laughs> but science doesn't. And right. scientists always interpret it in light of a person's starting point or their worldview. In order to defend the six-day creationist view, we must essentially reject the fields of modern astronomy, cosmology, geology, and biology. And you don't reject uh, all of cosmology. And, no. Absolutely not. We must declare that all but a very tiny fraction of experts in those fields are deluded fools. We must basically wage an all-out war on modern science because it stands so explicitly and starkly against young earth creationism. Or one of the most prominent arguments or explanations for young earth is that God made the earth and the universe to look old. Well, God created the universe mature with, and I've even used this phrase, with the appearance of age. And he made, I suppose, uh, you know, and he put, he put fossils in the ground that look old. If you think about Adam and Eve in the garden, if you were to meet them at near the end of day six, if you could take a time machine and go back and, and see them, what, how old would they look? Uh, the perfect age, <laughs> 40, obviously. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, but they probably looked like they were in their 20s, even I mean, though they were just, just brand new. Yeah, they were mature, but they were brand new. They were made that day. Uh, so you can say that's an appearance of age. And he arranged all the mathematical equations and physics and everything that they would give us false information about the world. That's a little bit different than when, when you're talking about the Earth or the universe, the solar system, those kind of things. Um, people say, well, the universe looks old. How do you know? What other universes have you compared it to? <laughs> that, you, that you know the age of something. And he created light beams that were already in motion on the way to us. The reason we know that Adam and Eve would look like they're in their 20s or whatever age they might be is because we know what a 20-year-old looks like. Because we have other ones to compare that to. And so that whole idea of the appearance of age isn't really legitimate when you're dealing with the universe or the solar system or the Earth itself because you have nothing to compare it to. Um, so as to give the impression that the stars are much older than they really are. God, by this view, is deceiving us. He accuses young earth creations of pushing the idea that God created things with the appearance of age. And we've already talked about that. We, that's not what we say. You're saying that God is playing games. He's tricking us. Rather than science being a method by which God reveals more about his own creation. Universe, the earth, they were created functional. So when the fruit trees were there on day three, guess what? They had fruit on them. Science becomes a method by which God confounds and confuses and obscures. So apart from how this view degrades science, the bigger issue is how it degrades God because it gives us a God who deceives and who doesn't want us to know things and who tricks us. It gives us this kind of petty pagan God, uh, not the true God, not the God of truth, not the God of light, not the God who reveals more and more of himself and this world to us as we search and explore. You know, this gives us a God who wants us to be in the dark and demands that we never look outside the pages of the Bible to learn anything. We would say that true science will always line up with the right interpretation of Scripture. Correct. Um, I think that God is much bigger than, bigger than that and much more honest. You know, if you believe in millions of years and you believe that the fossil record is millions of years old, the fossil record is a record of death. Young Earthers say that, well, the Earth could not be so old because that would mean that plants and animals and, and, and uh, 
uh, you know, plants and animals were living and dying for millions of years before the fall, but the Bible says that death came with the fall. Uh, we believe that when Adam did sin, that brought death and suffering and bloodshed and disease into the world. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that death came to humans from the fall. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Romans 8, though, says the whole of creation groans. So it is perfectly theologically consistent to have, a to have dying animals and dying plants before the fall. What Matt is really saying is that God made a world full of death, suffering, disease for millions upon millions upon millions of years of animal suffering of, of these creatures that are you know, wonderful creatures that God made. How can you call a fossil record full of disease and, and suffering and death very good? Now, I do admit, okay, I do admit that it raises a question about why God would let this very violent process of life and death go on for millions of years. Notice what that does to the character of God. He's a God who loves death and suffering, hmm. rather than the God who is holy and just and pure and merciful and loving, as we read about in Scripture. But just because I don't understand that, just because I can't wrap my head around it, doesn't mean it isn't true. And besides, the young earth view raises an even tougher theological question about, you know, if you're saying that, uh, that, that, that animals didn't die, um, before the fall, and now they do die because of the fall. Well, why would the sin of Adam mean that dogs and lions and elephants and cats have to suffer and starve and die? Why would God punish animals for the sins of human beings? So you don't really escape the theological difficulty by going young earth. I think, you, I think in fact, you end up with a, with a greater theological difficulty. This was another one of those ones where I, I groaned and said, I hope people don't think I believe this because my name was the only name used. Mm -hmm. And he seems to be saying creationists believe certain things or creationists he's met. You know, young earth is, must, must also uh, say that, well, either they say dinosaurs never existed and it's all a big sham. It, it's patently absurd to portray our belief that way. And I've heard some people even say dinosaurs never existed because they didn't know what to do with them and so on. Sorry, Tim, but Matt is describing at least a portion of young earth creationism and your boss knows it. Mainstream biblical creationists do not believe these things. Hashtag not all creationists. I've, heard, I've had some young earthers tell me that um, God put dinosaur bones in the earth to, to test our faith. It's all a prank that he's playing on us. We don't believe God put dinosaur bones in the ground to trick us. We don't believe when he created the world, it was full of these things to test our faith. And he says that in the video. Now, it is true that I have met some people over the years who just had never studied this, didn't know what to do with dinosaurs, who said that they thought maybe God put the bones in the ground to test us or something. I've heard, I've heard that. No informed creationist says it. No informed creationist? What does that sound like, Tim? Hmm. Well, first he uses the fallacy, the no true Scotsman fallacy that, um, well, there's no legitimate scientist anywhere who will dispute that. Hashtag no legitimate scientist. Hashtag no true creationist. Or that, um, that there were Tyrannosaurus rexes and Brontosauruses and Triceratops and Stegosauruses on Noah's Ark. Uh, somehow they all fit on there and didn't, and they also didn't eat uh, everybody. And Noah only needed kinds on the oh, ark, not right. species. Yes, Noah put two of each kind on the ark. He didn't have to bring the biggest ones. Noah brought the younger animals because they would have a longer reproductive life afterwards, which is what you need to fill the earth again. So, I mean, that just makes sense. And then once they got off the ark, they all died in some mass extinction event that only affected the dinosaurs. After the flood, many animals died off since, since the time of the flood. Many not just dinosaurs went extinct. You've got the um, synapses. This whole class of animals are gone. Uh, you've got a whole bunch of mammals, about half the mammal kinds that we know of are extinct. They'd have been on board the ark. They'd come off the ark and they died out for the same reason everything else has been dying off for. Because well, of sin, ultimately. And then all of their bones somehow sifted in, 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 and sunk lower in the ground than any other bones. So he doesn't even understand the, the fossils that are in the, in the geologic record. So he, he botches that. Um, 
completely misrepresents us. And I've never heard anyone saying the bones somehow sifted, sifted down. down to bottom layers or something. Yeah. Matt may not have expressed it well, but both Creation Today and Answers in Genesis promote what they call hydrologic sorting. That is very close to what Matt is talking about. Hydrologic sorting, which of course is when you get all materials and sediments and water together and it's sorted according to water, hydrologically. For example, dense animals such as clams are typically found at the bottom. Light animals such as birds with their feathers and hollow bones are typically found at the top. If anyone's interested, I've done a video on the details of that topic. You, you've got to run through all of these massive loops and you've got to do these twirls and, and handstands and everything to make this work when you don't need to. That's no. right, we don't need to, <laughs> we're not. In fact, we know that if you're looking at a star and the star is however many light years away, you're looking that many years into the past because it took that many years for the light to reach here. And this is a huge problem for young earthers. It may, it may actually be the biggest problem of all. There's books on this. There have been younger creationist astronomers who have been wrestling with this and dealing with this for decades. Any stars that we have located, which are over 10,000 light years from us, would seem to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the universe is older than 10,000 years. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to see them. The CDK model, that's been largely rejected, but people are trying to deal with it. You've got uh, Jason Lyle's got alternate synchrony conventions. You've got Russell Humphrey's white hole cosmology. Danny Faulkner has his own view. There, people are wrestling with this. I think it's the thing above everything else that settles the question. And, and it's an insurmountable problem, I think, for young earthers. But here's what Matt doesn't understand. The people who believe in the Big Bang in the billions of years, they have the exact same problem. It's called the horizon problem. Look it up. Well, I give Tim credit for using the actual scientific name where someone might actually find data. In the Genesis Paradise Lost movie, Tim's boss Ken referred to it with a creationist-only phrase, light time travel problem. Because they have a problem. They have a light time travel problem. In an apparent attempt to prevent people from finding these answers. They don't have enough time, even in the 13 to 14 billion year range, to get heat to all the different places in the universe that they think exists there. So they have the same problem. And that's usually what gets ignored. As Tim suggests, the horizon problem isn't about light, it's about heat. So not really the same thing. And it's called the horizon problem in roughly the same way you'd call a question in a textbook a math problem. It's not an unsolved mystery. It's a question posed with the answer already in the back of the book for the last 40 years or so. See my Science of Genesis Paradise Lost episode if you're interested in the physics. Or actually do what Tim suggests and look it up yourself. Uh, another uh, mistake that I've uh, had many people make, many secularists have even made, yeah. uh, is when they say to us, but the universe has to be billions of years old, or how can you reject uh, the age of the Earth as billions of years when we've got carbon dating? To prove young Earth creationism, you need to do a whole lot more than just quibble with the methodology of some of these disciplines. You need to do more than say, well, maybe carbon dating isn't accurate. If you, if you want to talk about dating methods that, that give them millions of years, which we would say also have all sorts of problems, we won't get into that today. Right, right. So the problem is when archaeologists discover those kinds of things, um, it doesn't make sense to go, no, that's not real. No, that's not real. No, you're wrong about that. You're wrong about that. No, archaeologists, you're wrong on that. You're wrong on that. No, 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 no. Oh, yes, yes, that, that, yes, yes. You're right on that one. That one right there. Yes, the cave painting. Yes, th that, that you're right about. No, all of that you're wrong. But yes, that you're right about because that proves my preconceived notions. That's not an intellectually honest way of doing things. All dating methods make certain assumptions about the past. Sure and if those assumptions are wrong, then the date's going to be wrong. Let's say I agreed that it's a cave painting of a dinosaur. But then let's say I argue that, okay, it's a cave painting of a dinosaur, but you know what? I think that someone drew it 50 years ago, after dinosaur bones have been discovered. 
And then you say, no, well, that's a painting that dates back 2,000 years before dinosaurs had been discovered, which must mean that dinosaurs existed and were walking around back then. Well, how do you know that it dates back 2,000 years? Because you're, you're trusting the dating of scientists. But then you dismiss their dating on almost everything else. So, so, so they don't know how to date anything except the one thing that proves your theory? I mean, do you see the problem with that approach? I think there's a problem with that approach. We can date rocks from Mount St. Helens, the eruption that occurred just a few decades ago. They dated up to millions of years old, which they can't possibly be. So we know there's a lot of problems with radiometric dating. Yeah. If we're combing through the scientific data furiously and then, and then accepting implicitly as dogma only the little bits of things that support what we already thought ahead of time, that's just not, a, that's just not an intellectually honest way of going about it. I'm always surprised by how many people who have, have never heard this evidence and the conclusions that end up pointing to a young Earth and a young universe, whether we're talking about uh, the human population. There's an article on the site, on Ken Ham's site, dealing with the problem of population. It was actually by Dr. Monty White. Uh, he's a scientist over in the United Kingdom, and he put together this article uh, talking about population statistics. Now, let me, let me read the first few sentences of this article. Uh, it says, creationists are often asked, Asked, how is it possible for the Earth's population to reach 6.5 billion people if the world is only about 6,000 years old and if there were just two humans in the beginning? Here is what a little bit of simple arithmetic shows us. Basically what he said is, well, let's go back 6,000 years ago. Let's use a growth rate, uh, basically a doubling every 150 years. Do you see the problem here? Let's assume the population doubles every 150 years. Why are we assuming that? Where did you get that figure? Now, typically, it's at least nowadays, it's about 40 years. And so... What he did, he said, you know, after about 6,000 years, we should have about 8 billion people. What? Ken Ham, I mean, this figure is on your website. Where did you get it from? Tell me where you got it from. But then he used that same 150 on the secular view. If people have been around, he just used just for 50,000 years. Just 50,000 years, there would be bazillions of people. Yeah. I don't even know how to pronounce the number. That's how big it was. That's not how math works. That's not how any of this works. That's not evidence. That's just a bald assertion. And so he's pointing out, hey, even using maximum figures, using uniformitarian rates that the secular world uses all the time, it's just impossible. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. Population rates vary so much and they're so dependent on other factors. So really, who knows how many people we would have or should have if the earth was uh, 6,000 years old. Use he, that he was saying, well, we make the assumption we just pick a number out of the air, 150 years for a doubling. <laughs> well, it's not just out of, out of the blue. I mean, we could have used 40. It would have been even worse for the secular. Right. Well, I know where you got it from. You just made it up. That's just a made-up figure. You made it up so that the math would work. But, but at the same time, if you look in the Bible, that's within the range of some of these. Noah didn't have children until he, until he was 500 years old. Yeah. So, I mean, at, at Noah's growth rate, it would actually have been a lot longer. I, I mean, it's just it's, it's, it's so dishonest. This, this is not an honest way of making your point. You're starting from a completely invented premise, which was engineered so that it would lead to the conclusion you were looking for. But it was an article about population growth that I, I don't even think a secularist would disagree I with. <laughs> May I beg to differ? At one point, our panelist Eric Hovind asked science communicator Bill Nye about this very question. Are you troubled by evolution? Uh, I do believe that it has some serious scientific problems, yeah. Okay, can you think of one? I think the human population being at 7 billion today instead of exponentially more is just one of them, yeah. I have a detailed video on this population Q&A that you can check out if you're interested. But the obvious answer is that of course no one thinks that the population growth rate is uniformitarian as Bodhi tries to casually slip into the discussion. Population is always limited by resources like food, water, space available. 
And there are other well-known factors like war, disease, and famine that can even cause populations to decrease over time. Now, this is, this is what Kenham insists. We need to read his literature before we form our opinions. Okay. According to this view, modern science isn't just wrong. It is useless. Geologists can't tell us anything about the Earth. Cosmologists can't tell us anything about the universe. Archaeologists can't tell us anything about the past. Yeah. And then how can I? I mean, I have a PhD in molecular genetics, okay? So how can I be a scientist and be a Christian? It's basically what he's kind of setting up that dichotomy. And if that's the case, then you have set up science and faith as two competing things. You have taken an adversarial approach to science. And this is a huge stumbling block for people, a serious stumbling block. Because when you make someone choose between science or an ancient religious text, when you tell them that only one or the other can be true, many will choose the other. But really what it comes down to, this isn't an issue of science versus the Bible. This is an issue of faith versus faith. And what is our faith in? Faith, it's about faith in God versus faith in man. If you say to be a Christian, you must reject all of modern science. And if your listener believes you, he is likely to respond, well, then I can't be a Christian because Christianity must just be another primitive, anti-science, anti-knowledge, ignorant superstition like all the rest. And, and again, it goes back to the difference between the two types of science. Okay, we don't reject modern science. We have lots of scientists, PhD trained scientists that work here at Answers in Genesis. Mm -hmm. We collaborate with many others at many other institutions. And actually, yeah. yeah, we do science. We publish papers and all of that. But Christianity is not an ignorant superstition. And you don't need to choose between the two. And you don't need to disbelieve your own eyes in order to believe the Bible. What he's doing is saying, well, if you disagree, you're not a legitimate scientist. <laughs> That's yeah. a fallacy. Uh, we don't reject science. Physics. Albert Einstein, one of the most brilliant minds ever to exist on Earth, believed that the universe was billions of years old. But young Earthers, I mean, they basically tell us that we have to treat Ken Ham as a greater authority on the subject than Einstein. And I just can't do that. By the way, Einstein, wow. <laughs> I, Einstein, uh, Einstein wasn't a Christian. Right. That's right. I um, believe in Jesus. If we're talking about physics, what does it matter if Einstein was a Christian or not? So it would have been better if he mentioned someone like Isaac Newton, who <laughs> was right. a Christian. But Isaac Newton right. didn't believe in a young earth. Yeah. So. <laughs> Good point, Bodhi. Maybe not so great an example. You will be very hard pressed to find a legitimate geologist or cosmologist or physicist or astronomer who believes based on his studies that the Earth and the universe are 10,000 years old. Uh, you know, Dr. Tommy Mitchell here, uh, Dr. Monty White, we've had a host of different ones, uh, Dr. David DeWitt, Dr. You know, who, who used to hold to some of these views, and they've said, hey, we've got to get back to Scripture. Right. And that's what right. we want to encourage. We want yeah. people to go back and say, let's come back to the authority of Scripture. Maybe you'll find a few who believe, who, ha who hold that belief in spite of their studies. Uh, many years ago, in my own past, there was a time when I struggled with the millions of years and some of the long ages, and I read a number of books on it. And I'll tell you what, it was tough for me to go, you know what, that's not right. I need to go back here, and I need to trust what God says. He's the one that's always oh, right. Maybe you'll find a few here and there who, who will say something like, uh, yeah, I mean, you could interpret the science in a way that kind of comports with young earth creationism. Uh, I mean, you're going to be very hard-pressed hard pressed to find any scientist who will even say that much. There are many young earth creationists that came to the position that the earth and the universe are young because of the science. But there are a few, I mean, young earth creationists, they'll, they, they have a few scientific names they'll try it out and they'll say, well, this person, that person, that, you know, it's a few. Let me give you the name of Dr. Andrew Snelling. He's one of my colleagues. He's a PhD geologist. But even those people, if you listen to what they're saying, they're not claiming that they can prove this just by looking at the, ev the, the physical scientific evidence. It isn't that he 
comes to it and looks at the layers and says, oh, you know, I think that that adds up to exactly 6,000 years. What they're, they're starting with Genesis and their interpretation of it and then trying to make the science fit. He believes the Bible is true. He believes that there was a worldwide flood. And what he sees out there in the world, everything he sees confirms that to him. And that's, that's just, that's not how you do science. That's not real science. Yeah, he can talk to Dr. Snelling about that if he wants. The interesting thing about Snelling is that when he publishes papers in peer-reviewed journals, he affirms rock dating of millions of years. And yet, when he's acting as a spokesperson for AIG, he vaguely affirms a young Earth position. He speaks out of both sides of his mouth on this, depending on who he's talking to. Maybe Andrew isn't the best example either. And that really is the conclusion here at the end, is that Matt is taking science over Scripture, and we put it the other way around. It is Scripture over science. And I say, when you add man's ideas to Scripture, you are undermining Scripture. I mean, you know, it really starts to seem like Ken doesn't take the Bible literally at all, but he only takes certain parts of it literally. The right interpretation of Scripture, which, let's be honest, people get that wrong. And Agree. And then he insists that everyone must take those parts literally too, or else they haven't forfeited the entire faith. I've said the same things about, mm -hmm. um, you know, many, many uh, great Christian leaders when they yeah. take millions of years and add them to Genesis. It's scripture over the, the uh, explanations of fallible people about what we might have seen in the past. Uh, I'm very uh, right. open about the fact that I say they're undermining the authority of scripture. You know, it really seems like um, Ken Ham has on his own authority gone through the Bible and found certain statements that would appear to be literal statements and said, nope, not literal. We would say that true science will always line up with the right interpretation of Scripture. Correct. And then other statements that would appear to be literal and say, yes, that must be literal. It cannot be anything else. And he has declared that, that um, his determination is now gospel truth. We've said all the time the issue is one of authority. It's a battle over authority. Who's the ultimate authority, man or God? Right. Well... Again, I asked Ken, who told you that? Where are you getting this from? Did God tell you? Did you have some kind of special revelation from God? Yes, I do. I have a book. I have the revelation of, <laughs> I have the revelation of God's word. I have a book. That's right. Because if not, then how dare you suggest that anyone who disagrees with you is a compromised Christian? That is not in any way an attack on them. Or, and, and, you know, many of these That's people right. would say that they believe in the infallibility of Scripture. We just say they're inconsistent. No, Ken, I think you're the compromised one engaging in this kind of dishonesty and this level of arrogance. That he's saying, you people are saying that you're right, but he's saying he's right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Think about that. And I also don't pretend to know exactly how old the universe or the earth is. I, I don't know that. I mean, that's, that, that, that question is way above my pay grade. Ken Ham thinks it's not above his. Uh, he knows everything, but, uh, but I, I don't know everything, and I, and I admit that. Is that he is more willing to rely on man's fallible word than to trust in God's infallible word. I mean, I just, I can't even make a sentence without him, without him blatantly mischaracterizing. Now, I want to say something. That's not an attack on him personally. Now, what he just said there is simply a lie. Uh, I said no such thing. I said no such thing. And it is this line, it's that sentence, I think, in particular, that has misled a lot of people about my point and has caused people to assume that I reject the Bible and that I don't think that, that the Bible is infallible. Unfortunately, some people are say, well, you just, um, you're a heretic or you just don't believe the Bible. I believe a person, doesn't matter whether it's you or John Lennox or whether it's uh, uh, William Lane Craig or uh, whoever it is, I believe they're undermining the infallibility of Scripture, the because authority of science, Scripture. This is what I've been hearing from people. that I, People think that I said that the Bible is not infallible. I did not say that. The age of the earth is not a salvation issue. Um, 
both our ministries have made that point time and time and time again, and yet we're still accused of it, partly because there are people who are a little bit overzealous when they respond. <laughs> but that's the way Ken Ham presented it. I'm calling on Ken to do the honorable thing and apologize for this, for this, for what he knows to be a mischaracterization. That is the honorable and Christian thing, Ken. You need to apologize and put something on your website admitting that you mischaracterized me. You know, the interesting thing is he trusts the interpretation of secular scientists mm -hmm. and then says, therefore, the Bible doesn't mean something, but he won't trust an interpretation of a Christian creationist who right. studied this, who's right. talked to many theologians and scientists over the years. Um, I never once made the fundamental point that we shouldn't trust God's word. I trust God's word entirely. I just don't trust your interpretation of that word, Ken. It is you I disagree with, not God. Are you God? Let me ask you, are you God? Because if you're not, then stop saying that I disagree with God because I disagree with you. The arrogance of such a statement is mind-boggling. I mean, it's dizzying to me. Uh, I disagree with your interpretation of God's word. I do not disagree with God's word. I disagree with your interpretation of God's word. Have I said it clear enough now? And what I've said over and over again with many others is that when you trust fallible man's interpretation and then use that as an authority to say what God's word means, which is what he, he said he did in, in these videos, then I believe you're undermining the infallibility of scriptures. So, no apology then. But I'm just not going to have someone misrepresent me in that way. And I think that if you're a follower of Ken Ham, that you should know that this is how he operates. And, um, and then you should decide how seriously you're going to take him from then on, from then on out. I know there are some people that say, well, why are you making this a public forum? Well, shouldn't it be private? It's really disappointing. You know, it's, it's a sad thing that I had to address this. And Matt Walsh made public his uh, videos. In fact, he, all these videos are very public. Mm -hmm. And he referred to certain teaching and he referred uh, to me. And so what we're doing is uh, we're responding to that because he's made it very public. And so we obviously have to respond publicly. I even waited a month hoping that he would... Uh you know, maybe have a change of heart and, and backtrack and admit that he miscarried, but he didn't. So, so um, we're not attacking him. I mean, he, he can have his beliefs. The interesting thing is he says over and over so much that, you know, we can't say that we're right about this. And, and you know, and how can we be so, uh, uh, you know, bold or dogmatic? He doesn't use those terms. I admit that I am no expert. I admit that. I've said that all along. I also admit that I could be wrong about the age of the earth and the age of the universe. I admit that. It's Ken Ham who puts himself forward as a reference. It's Ken Ham who claims to know better than the vast majority of scientists in every field. It's Ken Ham who claims that he absolutely could not be wrong. It's Ken Ham who says that his interpretation of the Bible is the only correct interpretation. And again, I want to offer Matt, if you want to come and visit the Creation Museum in the Ark. Come on to the Creation Museum, to the Ark Encounter. I'll give you a tour. Or maybe we'll have Ken give you a tour. And We're not going to charge you for a ticket. <laughs> we'll actually provide you accommodation in a really nice hotel. How's yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, nearby. But I'd love to, to show you through. Love you to we meet, can talk to you. Love you we, meet our, our, staff our scientists. scientists. Right. And, and they're not stupid individuals as you're making them sound. Uh, they're, they're very intelligent. And we're not questioning what you say about your Christian faith or anything like that. We're not doing that. We certainly question what you believe about Genesis. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but, it's, but it's your arguments that we have a problem right. with. So uh, come on down and we'd be happy to show you around. So with all these points in mind, you hopefully see why um, I think the Bible does not require us to believe in, in, a, in a young earth uh, creationism. Uh, you can believe it. You can draw that conclusion theologically, but you don't have to. It's not required. There's a reason why faithful Christians for 2,000 years have arrived at different conclusions on Genesis. 
It's not a simple text. It is, it is not easy to understand. It's quite dense, quite mysterious. And um, theologically, you could justify multiple interpretations. If Adam's sin didn't bring death and suffering into the world, then why is the, the solution to sin and the solution to death the physical death of Jesus on the cross and the, the bodily, physical resurrection from the grave? If sin and death have no connection, which is what older creationists believe, which is what Matt believes, then the gospel doesn't really make sense. Um, you can still believe it and still be saved, but it doesn't really make sense. A great many Christians made it clear that they were simply un unwilling to listen to anyone who would dare disagree with the young earth view. Um, they said, I'm a heretic, I'm a fake Christian, I'm a fraud, I'm an idiot, I'm terrible at theology, I need to stop talking about these things, how dare I, I know nothing about science, I know nothing about anything, so on and so forth. I'll, I'll let people understand, Matt, Matt Walsh is not our enemy. People, I've heard from a lot of people that agree with me, and, and uh, some of whom are, are afraid to say out loud that they agree because they, they're afraid that they'll be I don't know, disowned by their, by their families if they come out as, a, uh, as an old earth heretic. Well, Matt, thank you for bringing this subject to light in the world once again and showing this is not a dead issue. The debate is not over. This is a long one. Um, that's why I'm not a young earth creationist. This really is a conversation that is healthy to have as long as we have it in a healthy way. And it's why I think this view can have the effect of, uh, of discrediting Christianity. In fact, what we would say is the enemy are false beliefs that infiltrate the church. And, uh, and creating very unnecessary stumbling blocks. So we want to encourage Matt to compare all things to the scripture. I hope that you'll take that into consideration. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Godspeed. I hope you enjoyed this assembled debate and maybe learned something. As for my views, I happen to think that they're both right and that they're both wrong, just about different things. But perhaps that analysis should wait for another video. More importantly, where do you stand on all this? Do you agree with Matt's side or Ken and Eric's side, or some from each? Let me know in the comments. If you enjoyed this video and you'd like to be notified for more presentations about the science of Answers in Genesis, Creation Today, and many other theology, news, and science topics, please hit subscribe and the notification bell. A huge thank you to all my patrons, whose generosity makes videos like this possible. If you're willing and able to join them to support the work of Apologia, please check the link in the description. In the meantime, thanks for watching. Later.